think this is my 22nd message, 23rd message. Those who would be organized, tell me it's 23. This will be the last one out of this text, except for one small problem. The first word in chapter 4, verse 1. Anytime you see the word, therefore, you ask yourself, what is that therefore? And it will tell you that I am summarizing what I just gave you in verses 6 through 18. So, uh, we will come back to this text. And if you're truly honest with yourself, 2 Corinthians is dealing with quote-unquote Ministry, right? And if you read verse 6, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant or ministers of a new covenant, you will see that this book literally hinges on this text. Okay? Let's pray and read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you this day. Glory and praise to the King of Kings. We shout to the Lord. Father, we think of you. And we should be overwhelmed. We should be humble. And yet, Father, we should be so joyous that it would be contagious and consuming. Father, give us ears to hear this day. Give us eyes to see. And Father, may we be receptive to what your word has for us. May we be overwhelmed by your presence, by your purpose, and by your power to your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning at verse 6. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory... So that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face fading as it was. How will the ministry of the spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed... What had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened for until this very day, At the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, Beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Okay? Paul is using this text to contrast the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. Okay? He reiterates to us over and over that both have glory. Both have glory. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Okay? But the glory of the new covenant is so much brighter than the glory of the old covenant. He uses the word abounds in glory. Because what the old covenant did was to show you and I and all who would ever look at the person of God that we were sinners separated from God in need of grace and mercy. God in the new covenant gives us His grace and mercy in the process that we call justification. You, your penalty for sin 
has been paid for, has been bore by the person of Christ dying as a substitution for you. Okay? That's the difference between the Old and the New Covenant. One of the things that is amazing to me is the Old Covenant had no process to save. Nowhere in it. Ceremonial, the civilian side of it, uh, not even the moral, had any ability to save you. All it had the ability to do is tell you that you needed to be saved. And it basically was set up in such a way that you had no ability to fulfill it. Therefore, you would carry that guilt and shame regardless. All right. Because God had already set in place the plan for redemption, the plan of reconciliation. You're going to see that in chapter four. That would be through the person of Christ. Now, one of the repeated words in this text is the word glory. And I've shown you over and over and over again. What is it? When we speak of the glory of God, what are we talking about? Is it like a a, a 500 watt light bulb? No, it's brighter than that. Okay. The glory of God is any time his attributes are manifested. Okay. All right. The person Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, was an absolute manifestation of the glory of God. We looked at this last week when we were studying Christ's prayer. Glorify me as I have glorified you. Okay. And you look at Christ just before his arrest and crucifixion. You look at him and you say, the whole person of God, all, every single one of his attributes have been manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. You ever thought about that? It's like, uh, if you read the gospel of Matthew, okay, Matthew looks at Jesus Christ as royal deity, Right, And he starts it off with what? His genealogy. Here's his genealogy. This is his lineage to David's throne. Then he cranks out after that. Just goes through. Here's the Galatian ministry, the Perean ministry, the Judean ministry. And through all of those ministries, you see him have absolute authority over the natural. He has absolute authority over the supernatural. Okay, uh, a statement that is made over and over again is that he teaches as one who has authority. He he he, he isn't teaching. Um, well, such and such says this, or such and such says this. He teaches as one who wrote the book. Okay, but if you look at his ministry, there was nothing that he didn't have absolute authority over. Life and death. Disease, lameness, blindness, deafness, okay, leprosy. It doesn't matter. And, and it wasn't this, well, I'm hoping this works stuff. He had absolute authority over demons, over holy angels. Okay? You see his atoning work on the cross at the end of Matthew. And then in chapter 28, you see him say, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why? My birthright is royalty. My life is deity. Therefore, go. Okay? It's real straightforward, really, if you think about it. And he manifested all of the attributes of God. So in John's gospel, when he says, I pray for your glory, we sit there and say, yeah, that was answered. We've seen him pray 
for his disciples that God would protect them from the evil one, but not remove them from this world and that they would take the same words that Jesus had and they would give it to others so others would be saved. And then you see him praying for you and I this day and age. And in that prayer, in that line of the prayer, he says, my glory, I give them. Okay, that's you and me. Okay, what would that be then? Those who would believe in the words of the apostles would manifest the attributes of God the Father. Okay, so do you understand why when I challenge a person's salvation, why I'm doing it? I do not see the attributes of God in your conduct or your actions. And it seems to be a habit. That's key. Absolutely key, because that's what he's saying here. You could have been under the old covenant and walked around cranky all the time saying, I'm going to obey God because if I don't, he'll smack me. Or you can say, you know what? It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And those people stand out as oddities. There's a term that we use uh, when we speak of the elect. The actual um, Greek word for it is the word you and I get peculiar from. And if you've ever seen a true Christian, they do tend to be a bit peculiar. Look what he says in verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. From glory to glory. Chapter 4, verse 6 says this, For God who said, Light shall shine out of the darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, what did I say this letter is dealing with? Ministry. Ministry. The veil has been removed. When a person turns to Christ, the veil has been removed. And the light shall shine out of the darkness. What was the darkness? That's you and me. (laughs) Now light is shining out of that darkness. And it is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of what? The glory of Christ who is the image of God. See, when that happens, then you back up to verse 18 and it says, but we all, we all, once you see Christ, the glory of God revealed in Christ, God has revealed his glory in the face of Christ. And once you see that, once that veil has been removed, then the light shines through your heart. And you begin manifesting the attributes of God the Father. You know, it's kind of funny. I expected to get an amen out of that, and I didn't even get a hmm. (laughs) Most of the people are saying... I wish he would move on. (laughs) Let's go deal with the light thing. All that God is, is revealed in Christ. When you see Christ, you see God. Remember Thomas? Show us the Father. What was Jesus' response? If you've seen me, You have seen the Father. See, when you see Him for who He is, Christ is the manifestation of God, lacking nothing. And until you see that, you do not possess 
salvation. You got that? I want to make that adamantly clear. You can have all of the knowledge, but until you see the glory of God in the face of Christ, you're not saved. Because until that happens, you're still in a veil. And the veil is only removed how? In Christ. In Christ, I see all of the attributes of God. Therefore, I am saved. The veil is removed. I am not looking at a mystery. I am not looking at it clouded. It says Israel could not look intently at Moses. Okay? Israel could not gaze upon the glory reflected on Moses. But you and I, when the veil is removed, I can gaze at the glory of Christ who is God. And the veil is removed. That, brothers and sisters, is salvation. That is where you get life. That is where you are produced in righteousness. That is the permanence of the new covenant. That is where no matter what's going on in your life, you now have hope. It is so clear because I am gazing at it. It is absolutely focused on the person of Christ because when I look in his face, all I see is the glory of God. Holy Spirit takes me into that place so that I may understand it. And what we're looking at now is that once you are veil removed, gazing at the face of Christ, guess what? You're transformed. You're transformed. You look as in a mirror. Right in front of your eyes. You see the glory of the Lord and the transformation takes place. Metamorphoto. Metamorphoto. That's the word that's translated here, transformed. Metamorphoto. Okay? It literally means a continual progressive action of transformation. A continual progressive action of transformation. What are you being transformed into? Did you read that? Into the same image. What image is that? The glory of the Lord. From one image of glory to the next image of glory to the next image of glory. You are being transformed into the glory of God. Who? We all. Everyone who has turned to the Lord and the veil has been removed. I hate to break the news to you people. I love every one of you. I've spent years with many of you. And I hate to break the news to you. Is that real? Is it real in your life? That I can look in a mirror... And over any given stretch of time, I see the attributes of God being manifest in me so that others would see it too. Are you still got your head in a veil? The image of the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. And those who have had the veil removed are continually being transformed into Christ likeness. Man, that right there is some heavy thinking if you really think about it. That there give you a brain ache. Because you got to back up. I mean, it's easy to say, well, I was in church and I've been faithful to this and I did this Bible study and I did that thing there and I did that thing here and all the rest of it. But you know what? <sighs> so did the Pharisees. 
And yet at the reading of the Old Covenant, Paul says what? The veil is still on. And that veil is only removed when a person comes to Christ. And when they look in the face of Christ, they see the glory of God, the manifestation of the attributes of God. And then as that happens, they begin being transformed into the same image. And if you're being transformed into that image, it is extraordinarily easy to see. Because it's not natural. It's supernatural. We are moving from one level of glory to the next. We call it holiness. It is opposite of the glory on the face of Moses that faded. Moses would go into the presence of God. He would see the attributes of God. When he came out, it shone on his face. But as he spent time away from God, what happened? It would fade away. New covenant believers, the glory is increasing. New covenant believers, the glory is not fading. And new covenant believers, it is ever increasing. It shines bright. And then it shines brighter. And then it shines even brighter. And then it shines even brighter. And then it shines even... I'm seeing a pattern. It gets so that we all go to church wearing Ray-Bans. It's just too much Shekinah in this room. How does this all happen? Into verse 18, as from the Lord, the Spirit. It is supernaturally done by the person of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who gives us freedom from the law. Paul and I and we should never want anything to do to go back to the old covenant. And yet it is a pattern of us to do that that same thing. If you go to the letter to the Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. And do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. You know what? He drops down there and he says, walk by the spirit. You will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Because the flesh sets its desires against the spirit. Then he goes through and he tells you what it looks like. He contrasts the fruit of the flesh to the fruit of the spirit. But the key is, has the veil been removed? I know people who have very orthodox, conservative, reformed theology that do everything by the flesh. Why? Why? Christ made us free. Don't go back. And it's obvious it's a temptation. You don't have the letter to the Galatians. It's obvious a temptation or you don't have the letter to the Corinthians. It's obvious it's a temptation or you don't have the letter to the Hebrews. It is easy for you and I to fall into our fleshly manifestations of Christ. We do it very easily. Let me ask you a question. You, you know, you, you, you're going to struggle with this, but I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Very practical. How easy is it for you? Okay, now, I don't want you to think about your spouse or your kids or loved ones or anything like that. I'm talking to you. How easy is it for you to step into selfishness? Okay? You don't have to have somebody goad you into it. Someone is distracting me and swaying me into selfishness. 
I was doing fine, but they came and made me selfish. Right? It is easy. You can be cruising along, walking in pure holiness, and all of a sudden, dun, 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 I'm self-centered. <laughs> but then you argue about it. It'll only be a moment. Why? The flesh rises up and rains on your parade. When you have the new covenant, why would you go back to a fading glory? And decreasing glory. You come to the new covenant, you look into the face of Christ and you see the glory of God. Now listen, if you're looking into the face of Christ, how does selfishness step up? It's impossible. You cannot look at the manifest attributes of God and see any selfishness on your behalf. It's impossible. So when selfishness creeps into your life, know what you are not looking at. You are not beholding in a mirror the glory of God. You're beholding the glory of Satan. As you gaze at the glory of Christ, you only see God. And when you do that, you are transformed from one level of glory to the next. And you know what is really cool about that? Now think of it. You got to rest with me on this one. Okay. What can stop that? Oh, when I'm selfish. Really? I would argue. Okay. Paul to the Romans, the text that we just love. Okay, but the funny part of it is we don't ever read it. We have a little section of it that we like to poke our brothers and sisters with. I am convinced that the suffering of this age cannot compare to the glory to come. And we go, ding, 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 ding. Suck it up. Where's your faith? Pagan, get out of the flesh. Selfish. That's what we're saying. Problem is you guys miss that. Paul says here, and we know God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. And we all sit there and smile at each other, especially when the bills were all paid and I've got a little money in savings. My 401k is doing okay. You know, I'm kind of sitting around fat and sassy and God is good all the time. Let me show you something here. For those he foreknew... Still the same thought, people. Did you understand that? For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed into the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn of many believers. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified... He also glorified. Now, I got but one question to ask you. What stops that? That's an interesting concept because we know that God causes all things to work to the good of those. What? What? Yeah, because you know what? Whom he foreknew, he predestined. Whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he... Do you know that they all end with an E-D? Do you know what that means? Past tense. Okay? You can argue with it, and you can say, well, I ain't thinking it's working, but I'm telling you, the Bible says it is, and you may still be in a veil. Because I am convinced that all things 
work to the good. <laughs> Don't you hate it when he does that? See, we all like that. All things work to our good. As long as I'm willing to look at his plan and say there's absolutely nothing can stop whatever he has planned. Period. So I'm going to ask you a really simple question. We all sit there and go, Amen, brother. Okay, I'll ask you this simple question. Why would you worry? Why would you be anxious for anything? Because if I read this right, it says we know God causes all things to work to the good of those who love God. Why? Because He foreknew us, He predestined us, He has called us, He has justified us, and because He's done all those things, we are glorified. We manifest the glory. We manifest the attributes of God. And I'm going to ask you, is worry one of God's attributes? No. I like this. I really do. This is, this is the text when people say, you don't care, you don't act like you care, you seem callous, you seem cold about it, and I'm just sitting there going, nah, I'm convinced that all things work to our good because He foreknew us, He predestined us, He called us, He justified us, and He will glorify us in spite of us. And you know what? You can walk out of here right now saying, well, you just don't understand. And I will tell you this. You will. I guarantee you, he will teach you this. You know what's really neat about this? You don't even have to ask him to do it. It is really awesome. But it's not easy. Nothing can stop God glorifying His saints. Impossible. Interesting, don't you think? We are moving from one level of glory to the next. We are moving from one level of manifesting Christ to the next level of manifesting Christ. And remember how the verse starts. We all. When you are a new Christian, let's say you're a brand spanking new Christian. All right. You are a little bit like Christ. Okay. But know this. If you are truly saved, he is seen. Okay, it is this simple. When I first got saved, the first thing that I realized, I was in construction. The first thing I realized is profanity. Not everybody else's, mine. When I smack my finger or I pinch myself or got a splinter or something like that, if profanity came out my mouth, it was like sticking my head in a barrel and shouting it. And it took me about three hours to say, Guard your mouth, stupid. Okay? Now, people would have looked at me then and said, Well, I'm not sure he's saved. But all of a sudden it dawned on them, You know, he don't cuss no more. And it happens to me now when I work on bikes and all this other stuff. It is, you, it's amazing what we use for adjectives and adverbs. Okay? And I keep thinking the English language is a little bit bigger. Alright, but anyway, I let them use them and they go along and they go along and they go along and they go along. And it dawns on them in the course of a conversation, I don't use the same language. And I would like to tell you it's just training. It ain't got nothing to do with training. Okay? I had a grandma who was uh, extraordinarily hard of hearing. I mean, she had... Two hearing aids with the cable and the box that was right here. And every once in a while you get around it and you go, and then things like that. And granny, you're, something's going on. Um, but, but, you know, you would, could look right at her and say, you know, I'd like to have some pancakes. And she'd go, what? Crazy. But I remember that she had this hearing aid, you know, and of course, anytime you want to talk to her, she needed a new battery. But anyway, you, 
you could go in the other room and use profanity and she could be in the kitchen and she says, I heard that. How did you hear that? Did you leave your hearing aid in here? But you know what? I think about that when I cuss now and I think about that, you know, the Lord hears that. And if I am to be manifesting the attributes of Jesus Christ, how does that work? When a person first comes to Christ, he is seen. I don't care if they're an infant in Christ, a newborn in Christ. And yet, even the pagans might even call you Christian. They may even call you Christian mockingly. I remember when somebody first called me Bible thumper. And then it dawned on me that people who are acting like Christ get those things. As you grow in Christ, as you grow, Christ is more and more evident in your life. He becomes the importance of your life. Please understand this. Remember what Jesus said? If a man loves his mother and father more than me, he is... What? What is important in your life? Let me tell you something. It is obvious. You can spend very small amount of time with an individual and know what is important in their life. Do you understand that's what we're involved in? If you're saved today, that's what you're involved in? To be an adequate servant? You have been made an adequate servant of what? The new covenant of making people radiate the attributes of Christ. Now that's job security there, people. That is the goal of our lives. Did you know that? If you're a believer today, ask yourself what the goal is. Get married? Have a certain dollar figure in your job? A certain educational level? Certain monetary level? What is it? The goal of your life should be the manifestation of the attributes of God. That should be your single passion. Your life moving from one level of glory to the next level of glory. Ever more like Christ. Okay? Do you see? (laughs) That should excite you. It excites me. You guys kind of gathered that probably. (laughs) Yeah, you seem a tad bit. That should be exciting. But you know what else it does? It gives absolutely no room for pride. I got up this morning and decided to act just like God. Sure you did. (laughs) And then God put you back to sleep. So you have this humble excitement. Is there such a thing? The transformation is taking place because who can stop it? If you've been predestined, you have been foreknown, you have been called, you have been justified, you will be glorified. You can't stop it. That's the new covenant operation. Somebody said, and I can't remember who it was, we become like what we worship. And I thought, that's an interesting thought. But then as I went through it and I, I kind of pondered it some more. If I worship money, then you will see someone who is materialistic. Right? If I worship power, you will see someone who is cold. Right? Because all they're wanting is how can I control 
quote-unquote situation. So they will be cold. If you worship prestige, you will see someone who is callous. Because it becomes all about me. And if if you've ever spent any time around someone who's selfish, uh, that's just a blast. Okay? And they are very callous. Um, If you worship idols... Um, then you become spiritually dead and you are lifeless as a stone. If you worship Christ, you will be conformed into his image. But you will find that you will have to put your kids out of the way. You will have to put your grandkids out of the way. You will have to put your spouse out of the way. You will have to put your favorite car out of the way. Your favorite trip out of the way. Your favorite vacations out of the way. Because Christ does not share. If the veil is off then you have this overwhelming passion every moment of every breath to behold the glory of the Lord. It becomes an ever-increasing preoccupation. This is the new covenant. This is our goal. This is... The miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. I watch so many people asking for miracles. I need a miracle for this. I need a miracle for that. I need a miracle for this and that and the other. Okay. And then I think about being transformed into the image of Christ. You know what? I can honestly say in my years of walking with the King, I have never heard anybody say, Lord, help me look more like Christ. Because we, we want to look at Christ. We want Christ's help. But help me decrease that Christ may increase. Let my attributes be that of you, Father. And that I am no longer seen nor heard. The ceremonies and the sacraments and the works righteousness and the systems and the methods, they offer nothing. They offer nothing to the Corinthians. They offer nothing to the Hebrews. They offer nothing to the Galatians. They offer nothing to you and I. All we need is Christ and the veil removed. Look into the face of Jesus. By the Spirit of Yahweh, begins the process of transforming us increasingly into Christ image. Text that we kind of miss at times that uh, I would like to bring back to your attention. If you read it in the flow of the letter, you will see that the doctrine of sin is dealt with, that there is none righteous, no, not one. Um, Then you see the doctrine of justification, how sin came through one man, Adam, and how righteousness came through one man, Jesus. Then you see the doctrine of sanctification and the battle that exists in all of a sudden I've got to learn this stuff all over again. I'm born again. I'm a new creation and uh, I've got to start it all over again. Then you see the Romans 8, the glory of the Lord manifested in his people through the person of the Holy Spirit. You see the sovereignty of God in 9, 10, and 11 that nobody's going to stop this. And then you see chapter 12 and everybody says, see, this is your worship based on this amazing stuff that has been laid out there. This is your act of worship to be a living and holy sacrifice. But we'd very seldom ever read verse 2. Of Romans 12. Because verse 2. Says how verse 1. Comes about. And do not be conformed to this world. But be. Transformed. By renewing your mind. Now what happens is. The word conformed. Literally means to 
press it into a mold. And he says, don't be pressed into the world's mold. Be transformed by taking your mind and gazing at the glory of Christ, which is God. That is what Christianity is. It's not candles. It's not robes. It's not fish fries. It's not popes. It's not cardinals. It is relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is such an intimate relationship that I look in a mirror right there in front of me. I don't have to have this person here or an elder over here or a pastor over here or an evangelist over here. I look into a mirror and I behold the attributes, the image of Christ than God. Behold is in a mirror. It's intimate. Behold is in a mirror. There are no others. Oh, did you just a little footnote? You can't blame others if you look into the mirror and you ain't seeing it. Okay. Uh, you've, you've heard that before. That person put me in a bad mood. Okay. No, they didn't. You put yourself in a bad mood. And you let them take the blame. (laughs) You enter into that narrow gate. You know what that means? You don't get to take no luggage with you. You don't get to take your spouse with you. Your kids with you. Your grandkids. Your great grandkids. None of that gets to go. It is you. And it almost looks like going through a turnstile. It's going to grab you right here in the front. It's going to grab you in the back. It's going to push. It's just you. But it's a narrow gate. And you will look as in a mirror. Behold the image of Jesus Christ. Gazing at the glory of He who spoke existence into being. Gazing at the glory unveiled transforms The unveiled face into the image that he is now gazing at. See why I'm passionate about this text? I don't need bells. I don't need whistles. I don't need overhead projectors. I do not need audio-visual equipment. I don't need special Bible studies. I don't need ceremonies. I don't need sacraments. I don't need candles. I don't need the pump primed. I don't need bells. I don't need whistles. I personally need to behold and gaze upon the glory of Christ that I may see the glory of God and know that he who foreknew me has predestined me, has just called me, has justified me, and is glorifying me. And when I walk in that place, there's nothing that moves you. You'll get mocked. I remember the first time I was called a Bible thumper. And at first I took it as an insult. And then I thought, oh, cool. I've arrived. I finally made it to Bible thumper. Because I've been called a lot of things. I've been called Antichrist. I've been called uh, Pharisee. My brothers and sisters, you are adequate ministers of the new covenant if the veil has been removed. If it has not been removed, then this seems like silliness to you. If you can honestly say that in 30 days time from the one time you take the Lord's table to the next time of table, have you looked in the mirror and seen the attributes of God? His nature, His desires, His passions, His plans, His power. And if you have not, the veil hasn't been removed. I don't care what you know. But it should be for each and every one of us an overwhelming desire to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That should drive you more than any single thing on the planet Earth. That is my prayer for all of you.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. And I thank you, Lord, that in your mercy and your grace, you allowed me to preach through this text. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much. Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters who have heard this are overwhelmed by you, are overwhelmed by your glory, fall in absolute humility before the King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us, Lord, to have ears to hear. Help us, Lord, to walk in a manner worthy. But help us, Lord, to behold as in a mirror the image of Christ from glory to glory. Knowing, Lord, that the only way that could ever happen is by your spirit, your power, your miraculous work in our lives. Help us, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.